This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be starting a new series, uh, reading through the book of Zechariah. So today uh, we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Uh, I'll give us a moment to grab our Bibles, or you can follow the passage on the screen. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they will not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as as he determined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Andrew Ong will now teach us God's word. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, Really good to have you here as we begin our new book on the a study on the book of uh, Zechariah. And uh, I just want to encourage you all, especially since I think for many of us, Zechariah is going to be a very new and unfamiliar book uh, that I hope that you all be really excited uh, studying this. So as we do the overview today, which is what I'm going to do, I hope to really get you excited about studying the book, give you a rough idea of what the main themes and the structure is. And I hope that uh, you really be looking forward to it. So let's ask God to help us now as we go to him and go to uh, his word and to hear him clearly. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for your God who speaks powerfully into our lives. And dear Father, we need to hear your word regularly. We need to hear it in our own personal reading. We need to hear it corporately. And uh, we just pray that as we come together to listen to you once again, uh, that it will be a, a great bracing reminder of who you are, what you've done for us, and why you're such a great God, and why we need to continue to have strong faith in you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I wonder for uh, many of us, uh, whether you ever feel uh, disappointed in the Christian life, whether you ever feel uh, discouraged in the Christian life. And I think that actually for many of us, uh, we may at various times of our lives feel this way, where we feel perhaps discouraged, we feel perhaps disappointed. We feel a bit despondent. Okay, so you notice here what I've done, right? I've got the D words, the disappointment with God, despondent, discouraged in the Christian life. And I think and sometimes as we go along in Christian life, it can become very exhausting uh, to keep being faithful as a Christian. Ever feel that way? Well, I know I have felt that way. And I think that if you're a Christian long enough, you will feel that way too. 
So I remember speaking to, uh, 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 or hearing actually, a, a Christian friend of mine who was telling me that uh, even in the West where they live, oh, sorry, too far, even in the West where they live, uh, it's very hard for this person to, uh, to keep going on as a Christian. I think in the words that he used, he said that it's almost feeling like he's drowning as a Christian. He's always underwater. And I think that we can sort of identify what he's saying, you know, because as a Christian, we feel exhausted, discouraged, despondent, and disappointed. Because in the world that we live in, we are under pressure. And, uh, and you know, we're under pressure in the sense of we're criticized for our thinking. You know, people say, oh, how can you believe that there's only one way to be saved? You know, isn't that very judgmental? Isn't that very intolerant of you? We may be criticized for our living, you know, believing in no sex before marriage, in our views on different ideas of sexuality, our views on abortion, our views on a whole myriad of things. We may be under pressure and criticized for our feelings, the feelings of assurance that we have that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, therefore, we are saved once for all. People think of us as being very arrogant. You know, how can you be so sure that you are saved? And so even uh, the principal of my theological college, I remember listening to him once in a sermon, and he said that, you know, it's, it's hard to go on as a Christian uh, because you go on in your Christian life and then church members fall away, family members fall away, your relatives fall away. He said it's like playing a football game. And uh, halftime, your side is losing, and then you look at your team, and there are fewer people. And the worst thing is, you look at the opposition team on the other side, and you see that actually some people who are on your side are now on the other side. And so that's really, really difficult. And the good news today is that we're actually going to the book of Zechariah. And that's why Zechariah is so exciting for us. Because in the book of Zechariah, God is speaking to people who I think are in a similar situation, if you do feel this way. Here were people who were disappointed, despondent, discouraged, exhausted in terms of their relationship with God. And so God has so much to say to them here. So the first thing we want to uh, go to, oh, sorry, am I too soft? Somebody said, is it too soft? I think I'm, I'm okay, right, for most people. Loud enough for most people? Yeah, I can see some heads nodding. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's look at the historical situation for the book of Zechariah. Now, the book of Zechariah, as you can see here, was about the same time, almost about the same time as the book of Haggai, which is really fantastic, right? And that's one of the reasons why we put them together, Haggai and Zechariah, because they are kind of like complementing each other in terms of the same timeline. So last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Haggai, and we realized that it was during the time of King Darius, King Darius of Persia. And Zechariah is also ministering at the same time. And so if you look here in Haggai chapter 2, which was just the passage that we studied last week, it began in verse 10, chapter 2, by saying, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the, what's it say? The second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And today in Zechariah chapter 1, it begins by, in the eighth year month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. And so even though the, the, the books of Haggai and Zechariah don't, uh, 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 re, they don't actually mention each other, we know from just the timeline and also in the book of Ezra, if you can uh, spend some time looking at Ezra, they, they were both ministering together and they were aware of each other. Now, 
as we now look at uh, Haggai and Zechariah, they were actually quite different in terms of their focus in preaching. So they were, oh, sorry here. Yeah, so they were both preaching around 520, 519 BC in the reign of King Darius of Persia, right? Now, in Haggai, Haggai was, uh, like I said before, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the sermons, he's like a one-topic preacher, right? If, if you remember, we were looking at chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Haggai, and he's very much interested in the temple. It was all about the temple. So if you can look at this cartoon that I picked up from the internet, basically the message about Haggai centered around the rebuilding of the temple. But in the book of Zechariah, it's actually quite different. Uh, because in the book of Zechariah, uh, what happens is, um, oh, you can actually see that uh, Zechariah uh, is a different sort of preacher in the way that he preaches, but not just the, 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 the style of his preaching uh, in terms of a lot of visions and pictures, but also in terms of the topic. So in terms of the topics of Zechariah, he deals and ranges much further afield than just the temple, right? He's got lots and lots of other issues which are kind of like plaguing the remnant which have returned back to exile in this time, the nation, suffering, military power, uh, protection of the kingdom of God, disappointment, a whole range of issues, but also coming together with the temple. So as we now go historically and look at the, 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 what's happening in the life of Zechariah and the people, if you could go back to a time machine, right, you could actually learn the context of what Zechariah was about, because we didn't really kind of like go into it that much in Haggai, because we were kind of like focused a lot more on the temple. But there's a lot more in, in, in Zechariah, which has to do with what's exactly happening with the people. So we already said that uh, Zechariah was preached to God's people, and they were in Judah, the last remaining stronghold, so to speak, of God's people in 520 BC. Now, if you go to Google again, you'll see that King Darius of Persia is actually called King Darius the Great. The Great. Okay, he was great because he was really great, right? He was like a, a really powerful king. And this is actually uh, apparently what he really looks like. Okay, it's not some random, uh, random stone sculpture that I've sort of picked up somewhere. But this is what he really looked like because this is an engraving of King Darius. And so he ruled over the Persian Empire. Now, this is the extent of the Persian Empire, and you can see it's huge, right? But when King Darius ruled the Persian Empire, it was really big. So, you know, recently, there's been lots in the news. And what's been in the news recently, apart from COVID, it's been about Afghanistan, right? Well, can you imagine uh, how powerful King Darius was? He ruled all the way from Afghanistan into India, all the way to Greece and Libya, right, in the west. I mean, that's a huge a, a piece of land from east to west. And from the north to the south, he ruled all, from, all the way from uh, Greece and uh, Europe, all the way down to uh, Egypt. So you can see here that, uh, that, that uh, God's people lived in the midst of this huge, huge empire. But they actually lived in a really, really small part. They were like tiny Okay, so they were living in this province uh, in, uh, in Babylon, sorry, not Babylon, in Persia. And it was really small, like apparently it was about 50 kilometers north to south and 65 east to west. To give you an idea of just how small 
uh, the region of God's people were living in. Singapore is just only about half as uh, small as uh, the region that uh, God's people were living in. Okay, so Singapore is 27, north to south, 50, east to west. And in this piece of land, there were only about, estimated about 50,000 people, right, compared to how many people we have here in Singapore now, a couple of million. And so you can, you can sort of imagine that uh, the people are pretty demoralized. They've come back from exile. They're hoping for the best. They hope that, you know, God's finished punishing them, that he's promised to, and he's bringing them back, and there's going to be glory days. But instead, what's happening in the promised land? Lots and lots of problems. So there's social problems. There's social problems between the people who were left in the land and the people who've come back from exile. The economic problems, as we see in the book of Haggai, the crops have been cursed by God. Things are not all that good. There are political problems. So again, if we looked in the book of Haggai and Zechariah, they're not actually independent. Uh, they don't rule their own land uh, independently, so to speak. And that's why like Zerubbabel, remember in Haggai we were learning, Zerubbabel is just the governor. He's not even the king, right? He's the governor who rules at the pleasure of the Persians. And there are military problems as well because they're just a small, tiny speck of some small principality and they're bigger neighbors and more powerful neighbors and they're constantly being bullied by all these neighbors, not just the Persians. And so as we come to the book of Zechariah, you can see that the people, therefore, are discouraged, despondent, and they are disappointed. And so there's actually a good quote here when it comes to Oh, sorry. And also, not just that, uh, historically, as we just to go through quickly, for those of you who've forgotten, uh, it's not as if these problems that they face are new problems. Uh, this has actually been happening for like the last uh, uh, century of, the, uh, of their uh, last hundred years, right, of their, of their uh, nationhood. So in 586 BC, they were conquered by the Babylonians, okay? And then they were taken to exile in 586 BC. And then the temple was destroyed in 586 BC. Then they were returned in 538 BC under the Persians. And so the context now which we see is one where it's not just been suffering for a short term, it's been suffering for the long term. For the whole generation of these people, they have experienced suffering as God's people. And so I think there's a very, uh, very apt phrase in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 which actually says, God says to them, who has despised the day of small things? Who has despised the day of small things? And this speaks primarily in Zechariah chapter 4 of the disappointment of the temple, because the temple was very small. It was not as big as Solomon's temple. It was not as majestic as Solomon's temple as we could really see in Haggai. But this, I think, the day of small things symbolizes the disappointments of all that's happening around them. Small temple, small country, small population, small economy, small power. So this is the context in which we come and read the book of Zechariah. So what then is the structure of the book of Zechariah? Because I think we need to spend a bit of time looking at the structure of Zechariah. Because like I said, Zechariah is going to be a bit more challenging than the book of Haggai because it is a bit more complicated and complex. So the structure here, uh, as I can show you in uh, pictures, is it begins with an introduction, uh, which was read to us just a moment ago. Okay, so the introduction is fairly straightforward. The genre, the style of writing, 
is just normal uh, preaching, right? Normal narrative, so to speak. It's just normal words. But from verse 7 in chapter 1 to chapter 6, verse 8, we're given eight visions. Okay, so Zechariah had a bad night because God sent him an angel and gave him eight visions in one night. So he didn't really get much sleep that night. And these visions are really fascinating. You know, they're full of interesting things which are happening. But, but they're different, right? We, we, we haven't been doing visions for quite a while at church. And it really requires you to switch on your brain and to really engage, get your hands dirty and dig out what God is saying here. Okay, because uh, we actually have a quote in, the, in Zechariah where God says to Zechariah, right? that the vision is the word of God to you. So it's like God speaks his word through these visions. And so we need to understand how the vision is working. And then later on in chapter 6 to 8, we see that there is narrative preaching. Okay, So again, in chapter 6, verse 9 to 8, this is more straightforward preaching. And that's easier to understand. But the last, the last five chapters, again, we come back to the genre or the style of writing of imagery and pictures because we're given these two very big oracles which are lots and lots of picture images. And again, you know, I think it's really good for us because nowadays actually I was reading this book. We're not really readers anymore. I mean, if, you, if I have to ask you honestly, when is the last time you read a novel for, for leisure? I think for many of us, would say, well, it would be quite a while ago, right? Except maybe now a circuit breaker, maybe you did lah. But most of us, if I say to you, oh no, when's the last time you watched a movie or a TV series, you'd be like, oh, last night. Because you know, we all, we, we, we watch Netflix or we watch things uh, you know, on TV or even we read anime or manga. And so when we come to the book of Zechariah, it's a bit like that. We're watching things or looking at pictures, but we need to pay attention. And so uh, here's another way of understanding. It's maybe easier to see the structure like horizontally rather than vertically, right? So there's the introduction, the eight visions, the narrative preaching, and then finally, the two big oracles. Now, so when we come to the book of uh, Zechariah, I want to tell you that it's different from Haggai, okay? It's Haggai is straightforward. But Zechariah, many ideas, many thoughts, many themes, and also different ways of communicating it, visions, pictures, narrative as well. And so therefore, when we come to the book of uh, Zechariah, it will puzzle us, okay? So, but, but you need to do the hard work because, you know, when you're puzzled and you're thinking about the vision and the pictures, you will get to there, you get to the picture, then you get through the picture, you understand the vision, and then it's like an aha moment, okay? Now it's kind of locked in your brain because the visions are very vivid. And once they lock in themselves in your brain, they will be able to reassure you and give you the message. So I don't know whether uh, many of you have seen uh, some of these older pictures, but uh, there's a very famous movie called Inception. I think some of you may have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But Inception is a movie where you kind of like really have to pay attention, right? Because lots of weird things are happening, like you know, people walking on the ceiling and all sorts of stuff. And even like the ending, okay, so I'm so sorry if you haven't seen the ending of uh, uh, Inception. But you know, like even the ending of Inception it's like you kind of like ask yourself the question, okay, what's happening at the end, right? Is it a dream or is it not a dream? Is the spinning uh, top going to fall down or not? And that's the thing where we, we see in the book of Zechariah. We're constantly asking ourselves, okay, what is the vision? What are we seeing? 
Uh, what does it mean? So uh, even some uh, commentators say, if, if, if you find it helpful, if you're a person who is a visual person, it's good for you to maybe even draw some of the visions. And by drawing the vision, it comes to life and God's word speaks more clearly to you. So I remember there's a, a movie which I saw recently as well, which is also an old movie called Interstellar. To give you an idea of how you know, we need to engage our brain when we watch movies or we see these visions in the book of Zechariah. So in the, in the book of, in the movie for Interstellar, there's this uh, conversation uh, which happens earlier on in the movie and you're kind of like not really paying attention. But uh, they're going out to space and they're having this argument about whether uh, nature is evil. And in the end, uh, they sort of say, though, actually, it's humans who are uh, evil. And so the last conversation is, you know, we just take evil with us. Then later in the movie, uh, it's really interesting because they, they meet this astronaut who's out in space for like ages. And his name is Hugh Man. Okay, you get it? You get it, right? His name is Dr. Hugh Man. If you don't get it, please come and speak to me later, okay? Human, right? Human. And so, so he's evil, right? He's evil. And so when you watch the movie, you're meant to be paying attention. Like, okay, we bring evil with us. And this guy's name is Dr. Human. And so that's the way we're supposed to read the book of Zechariah. We're not, we need to kind of like be thinking, reflecting, and trying to understand what is happening. And so uh, even like uh, movies like uh, Law of the Rings can be helpful for us because the Law of Rings has lots of symbolism. And that kind of happens as well in the book of Zechariah, right? So in the Law of the Rings, the, the ring looks like beautiful, but it's actually evil, right? It's pure evil. Okay, then we have like a Gollum who is obsessed by the ring and you see him transform, right? From being this innocent person to being this person who's trapped by, by evil. And then you also have like the Nazgul, right? If you remember the Nazgul, like these are these horses which roam the earth for Sauron. And it's the same thing, right? So in, in the book of Zechariah, we also have similar images where there are these horses which go out and they are like projections of powers to go out into the world, to see things and to govern. And so these are the ways that Zechariah works. And I think that uh, as you can see, just by this summary that you can find in it, there are lots of these images as we book, come to the book of Zechariah. And I hope that's really exciting for you because I think it's really exciting for me. So uh, just to give you two examples, in one of the visions, there's this vision of the flying scroll. And the scroll is written all the curses of the land because of the sin of the people. And like, can you imagine that? It's like, it's like saying to someone, right? Imagine all your sins are written uh, on a big pillar where the merlion is in the Marina Bay Sands. You'll be like, oh, wow, okay, now I can understand what you mean, right? It's like you, all your sins are, are open for the world to see. And that's, that's a really powerful vision, right, that, that is trying to communicate to us. And then there's another vision of where Zechariah shows that there's this woman who embodies all the evil of the sin of the land. And she goes and she's put into this basket and this big heavy lid is put on the basket and then they take the lid away. And like, isn't that a wonderful vision? It's like all the sins are trapped in this basket and taken out of the, the, uh, the presence of God's people. And so these uh, visions are meant to challenge us, but also to encourage us and reassure us. 
So I hope that you're really looking forward to studying these visions and being encouraged by them. Okay, so now we finish the background. We looked at the structure. So let's look now at the important themes in the book of Zechariah. There are many different themes, but I'm going to identify three main themes which I feel are really important. Okay, three main themes. The first theme is of returning to God. And this is the passage that we had read to us. And so the first uh, uh, passage in the introduction, which was read, the thing that comes out here is repenting or turning back or returning to God. So it says there in verse 2, the Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaim. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now and the prophets do they live forever? But did not my words and decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. And so we see right from the beginning that what's really interesting uh, for us in the book of Zechariah is that uh, because it kind of like sits near the end of the Old Testament, it looks back, backwards, right? to the earlier generations and takes those lessons and applies it today in 520 BC. And then it also looks forward to our time. So in a sense, Zechariah bridges what happens to their forefathers to also our time. And so as we look at this passage now in Zechariah chapter 1, uh, I think uh, Nick Wong uh, gave a very, very good illustration. He says, even though they're in the right place geographically, uh, they are in the wrong place in their relationship to God, they're in the wrong place spiritually. And so God is calling for them to turn from the evil ways, from the evil practices of their forefathers, which they themselves are still doing now, and return to him. And he promises that he will return to them. So what are the, some of the things, the evil ways and the evil practices, which they practice, that their forefathers also practice? Well, uh, one of them is, we've already read in the book of Haggai, and which we'll also see, I suppose, in the book of Zechariah, which is they are, their priorities are wrong. Right? So their priorities are wrong. So we read in the book of Haggai that the key problem is that they didn't have time for God. Uh, their hearts were focused on home renovation, interior design, choosing the color of the wood panels, but they were busy with their own things but they had no time for God. So one of the key problems that was there, as well as in the book of Haggai, is the lack of priority, the lack of uh, busyness for God. And that's one of the things which is the wrong practices and the evil ways in the time of Zechariah as well. There is this turning away from God in their priorities in what is important to them. But also, as we look in the book of Zechariah, we see the problem of idolatry. And that's always been a problem of God's people. Okay, you remember uh, when uh, Moses went up to the mountain, they built, they made the golden calf. In the book of Judges, they were constantly, uh, you know, worshipping the bowels of the land. Uh, 
even the time of the kings, okay, uh, after David and Solomon, they had problems again with idolatry. And so Zechariah 13 says, On that day I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I'll remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. And the prophets here are the false prophets, right? So it says, and if anyone still prophesies, his father and mother to whom he was born will say to him, you must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. When he prophesies, his own parents will stab him. So here we see, apart from the problem of the wrong priorities of focusing on their own lives, is the problem of idolatry, which still exists even after all this time, even after exile, even after the remnant comes back into the land. Okay, so uh, again, God had already warned them right from the beginning when they entered into the promised land, you shall have no other gods apart from me, but they still have idolatry. So again, Zechariah is calling them back, right? God is calling them back through Zechariah. Return to me, right? Return to me, give up your idolatry, focus the right priorities back on me. But also, the last uh, thing, which I think is a, uh, one of the key things in the book of Zechariah, is their hypocrisy. So they're very um, focused on outward religious practices, but inwardly, they are, they are far away from God. They are stubborn against God. So in uh, Zechariah chapter 7, we learn that uh, apparently the people have been fasting and mourning on the 5th and on the 7th month, for the last 70 years, okay? So well, that's interesting. Why are they fasting and mourning for the last 70 years on the 5th and the 7th month? Probably they were mourning the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And so they, they thought that, you know, they were very, being very religious and fasting. They weren't eating uh, during this time. And then now that they're back in the land, now that they're rebuilding the temple, they go to Zechariah and says, should we keep fasting? Should we keep observing these fasts, remembering the fall of Jerusalem, remembering the destruction of the temple. But what does God say to them? God says he's not really interested in their fasting and their outward religious practices, but instead they were sinful because they weren't living out the true righteousness of their right behavior and their relationship with God. So the, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. And so we see here, as we, there are other passages which I won't go through today because it would just take too long, but you will go through it as we do Zechariah. There is this problem of religious hypocrisy. Outward religious practice, but yet in the lives that they live, they're actually far away from God in reflecting God in the way that they live among one another and also in the way that they treat other people. And so as we come to summarize, God's calling them to come back, right? Wrong priorities, idolatry, hypocrisy. And I think that we uh, can really learn from this, right? Uh, I remember there's uh, two people who I won't name. They're married. Uh, the wife was actually instrumental in, in sharing the good news of Jesus with uh, Cheryl, my wife. They're both doctors. They traveled the world. But during their time away, uh, they became very isolated from other Christians. And uh, it led them to, I guess, 
being very disappointed, discouraged, and despondent about their Christian faith. And today, what have they done? Uh, they've done what many people in the West and even Singapore have done. They've exchanged Christianity for spirituality. Okay, do you understand the difference? They've exchanged Christianity for spirituality. So they no longer believe that Jesus is the only way. They, they're kind of like spiritual and kind of like this vague way where, you know, they light candles and then they read poems or they just feel spiritual in touch with nature and things like that. But, but actually when they read Zechariah, when I read Zechariah, I think of them. I think, you know, actually you, 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 you've turned your back from God. You've lost your relationship with God. You're not idols. You're, you're worshiping idols. You, you're, you're hypocrites. You do these religious practices, but actually God doesn't care. Their priorities are not towards Jesus, but they have kind of like spiritual in their own way. Right? So I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, Zechariah still speaks to us even today. But uh, even Jesus, sorry, not but, but Jesus as well, uh, whenever he talks about the kingdom of God coming and John, John the Baptist as well, they always tell people to repent or to turn back to God because God's kingdom is near. And so the message is not just looking back at the forefathers, speaking to the people of 520 BC, but it also speaks to us today, right? We need to keep turning to God, right? We need to make that decision for God as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So first theme, Zechariah, return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. Second theme. Now, what's really, really fascinating and interesting about the book of Zechariah is that it really points forward to Jesus. So if you want to understand Jesus better, understand the book of Zechariah. Because even though God keeps calling for the people to turn back to him, there is this very clear, clear picture which comes through over and over again in the book of Zechariah that they cannot make themselves clean. They cannot make themselves perfect. They themselves are actually unable to to be perfectly sinless before God. And so there's this wonderful, wonderful picture, uh, which we will see a sample of here in this part of Zechariah, right? Zechariah chapter 4. And so in Zechariah chapter 4, there's this picture of Joshua, the high priest. We've, we've heard of him before in the book of Haggai. And there's this heavenly court scene, right? Imagine it's a court, you know, it's like, you know, the judge, the defendant, the prosecutor, and so Joshua is like the defendant. He's standing before the angel of the Lord who acts as the judge. And Satan is the accuser. He's the prosecutor. But then the judge, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has, who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And so here we see Joshua the high priest. He's standing before the judge. Satan is accusing him. But the judge shuts up the prosecutor and says, okay, don't talk, don't talk, right? So Joshua is now in this wonderful vision, wonderful vision that we're given. He's dressed in filthy clothes. The angel tells him to take off his filthy clothes and then said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I've put rich garments on you. And that's amazing, right? Because says here, that what we see here is a, is a wonderful visual picture of sin with these dirty, dirty clothes. And these filthy clothes are literally, in the original translation, uh, clothes which are 
stained with poo or excrement or vomit, right? So it's a terrible picture, right? Can you imagine your clothes being stained with poo and vomit and excrement? And this is a symbolic picture of the sin of Joshua. But God takes off his filthy clothes and gives him these rich garments or pure garments. And this is not just symbolic for what God does for Joshua, who's the high priest. But as we will go through it a bit more later on, this is actually pointing forward also to how God will do the same thing for everyone. Because if you see here at the end of Zechariah chapter 3, oh, the reference was wrong. Actually, that was Zechariah chapter 3, not Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, God says, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. He doesn't say, I'll remove the sin of Joshua in a single day, but he says, I'll remove the sin of this land in a single day. And so what a wonderful picture that is because this visual image of wearing these clothes which are stained with poo and vomit is, a, is indicative of, of, of just how repulsive we are. But God takes off these repulsive clothes, gives us new clothes and removes all our sin in one day. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us, isn't it? Because Jesus, we know, when he dies on the cross and he says with his last breath, it is finished, takes away our filthy clothes and gives us new clothes. He has done the work of taking away our sin in that one day. And so this is the second major theme of the book of uh, Zechariah. God recognizes our sinfulness. He recognizes that even when they turn back to him, they are unable to deal with the problem of sin. And so he promises Joshua, the high priest, that he who represents the people in a certain way, who intercedes for the people, even he is dressed in filthy clothes. But what God does for Joshua is symbolic for what God does for us and points forward to the person of Jesus. So I know many of you, do you listen to Spotify? Anyway, CDs are dead, right? My CD collection is wasting away downstairs on Spotify. But you know, I have a bit of a problem because, you know, Spotify was actually controlled by my son, Benjamin. Okay, for some reason, I, 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 I don't know what happened. I gave him the rights to control Spotify. And so, you know what he does? He goes around changing all my playlists to all these, uh, to all these weird names, right? So, I have this playlist of all my easy listening music, okay? And so he calls it Night Flight for Losers, okay? But worst of all, sometimes, this is when he was very young, like obviously they've all grown up now, so they don't do silly things like that. But we know when he was younger, he even puts these weird Korean K-pop music into my easy listening music. And so one day I found, when I was listening to my easy listening music, this song came up. It's called Good Boy by GDX Teng Yang. Don't know what it means, right? And I think that, you know, maybe he was trying to tell me that he was a good boy, okay, when he was young. But I was thinking, you know, that's the thing about the, the book of Zechariah because it shows us that even the high priest Joshua, the, the, the supposed to be the righteous of the most righteous, the goodest of the good, he was stained with filthy, filthy clothes of excrement, poo, and vomit. And God has to make him clean. And the same way, what God does for Joshua, God will do for us and has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful news, right? Because 
If you can think of that picture of those filthy clothes being removed, well, that's what Jesus has done for us. Now, the last theme of the book of Zechariah is full of kingship and kingdom and protection. And so uh, God promises. So remember that context, right? The, the, the historical context of a, of a beaten down people, a despondent people, a disappointed people, an exhausted people. And God promises that his king is going to come. So in Zechariah chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey on a colt, a foal, the foal of a donkey. Now, again, we're going to speak, preach about this, but this king is, is a special king. He brings salvation, right? And we know that in Jesus, there's even more than just a normal saving military. God promises as well that he's going to bring his kingdom, okay? So his kingdom will come. And this wonderful kingdom will be protected by God. And it will be a place of peace, a place of tranquility, a place of gladness and blessedness. And that's what God is going to do. But as God brings his king, as God brings his kingdom, at the same time in the book of Zechariah, God brings his judgment on the nations which have attacked and have uh, oppressed uh, his people, Judah. And so it says here, right, the, the, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, he'll be one Lord. His name will be the only Lord. And then he will protect and, and make sure that Jerusalem is secure. Now, it's really fascinating. And I hope you find it fascinating because as we read the book of Zechariah, on one hand, as God brings judgment on the nations which have oppressed his people, at the same time, right, at the same time, God promises that there will be people from the nations who come into his kingdom, right? Uh, it's a wonderful picture. And uh, the book of Zechariah has a few passages like this. And so I'll read you this one, which I think is very, very uh, encouraging. And so here in verse 20, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and many powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 men of all from all languages and nations will take a firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we heard that God is with you. And this is really wonderful news because, again, we know that Jesus is the king who has come, right? He is the one that when he came to the city of Jerusalem, he came as the king. And here, as you see in verse 5, right here on the left-hand side of your screen, right, it quotes from Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we also know that uh, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in the day of Pentecost, how people from all nations came to Jerusalem and how they were all filled with the Spirit of God to show that they were now God's people. So as we come to the end of this overview, I hope you're excited about the book of Zechariah because it's got many, many great things to teach us and it teaches us in a very fascinating way, which hopefully sticks in our minds because we we, 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 we chew on the visions, we reflect on the visions, and it's got an impact on us. It's telling us to return to God 
because God can remove the sin of the land in one day, and the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And we, we're not Jews, right? We're, we're Asians. And here we are invited into the kingdom of Jerusalem together with God's people from 520. So as we come to the end of this section, as we come to this overview, um, some people have compared Zechariah to a roller coaster. Okay, uh, The way it's written, it's not linear, but it goes up and down, up and down. You know, It fills you with kind of like this orientation. I don't know about you, but I, I don't really like roller coasters that much. And one of the problems I don't like about roller coasters is, you know, it's like, especially when you go down really fast, right? It gives you this very, very unpleasant feeling, sort of, you know, just to say, you know, it makes you feel unpleasant, things are out of control, okay? And I think that Zechariah makes us feel that way. It's like, you know, it's going downhill, you feel a bit unwell, but I think it also reflects the experience of the people God's people in 520 BC. And I think in the same way, it reflects our experience today as Christians. Uh, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. The Christian life is not one where we will all, uh, you know, always be waking up to, uh, you know, to, to, to an easy life every day. It is difficult. There will be times of discouragement, despondency, disappointment. But what the book of Zechariah tells us is that at the end, there is, uh, we need to hold on even through that uh, times of disappointment, discouragement, despondency, even exhaustion, because God has made these wonderful promises. And we need to hold on to the word of God in these visions, uh, because God promises to watch over us, protect us, and keep us safe to that final day where he will be triumphant and we will be protected. He tells us to turn back to him and how in Jesus Christ our sin is removed in a single day. So I hope you're excited to study and to learn God's word in the book of Zechariah. And I hope that in this small way, uh, you get a sense of a general feel of what Zechariah is about. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come to you today, we really want to thank you so much for your God who speaks. But you speak for, speak for us with the motivation of encouraging us for opening our eyes to the realities to come, to open our eyes uh, to see this world differently. Dear Father, we pray that indeed our perspective will be shaped as we study the book of Zechariah, as we struggle and wrestle and reflect on these wonderful visions that you've given, and that we will let them settle in our minds. And uh, as they settle in our minds, really be a great source of encouragement for us. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.